Hey guys, this is Scott from Just for Kicks. Before you listen to the podcast today, head over to iTunes, subscribe to Game Time CT, then you can rate us, review us. It really helps the more people that go over there and subscribe, the easier it is for us to do these podcasts. We love doing these podcasts for you, so please just pause the show real quick, subscribe, rate, review, come back, listen, Just for Kicks. See you there. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Just for Kicks podcast on Game Time CT. My name is Scott Erickson. I'm the boys' soccer writer for Game Time CT, and we are joined on the couch by the girls' soccer beat writer Joe Morelli. Joe, welcome to the couch. I'm not sure about the couch idea yet, but it's a lot more comfortable than the chairs. But we'll see. It's a little more comfortable. Uh, it's awkward because we're like not facing each other, but maybe that's better for everybody if we're not facing everyone. But it's the fine. couch is nice. I, I like the idea of the couch and and uh, sitting here and, and being comfortable. So. Uh, the, the cave is coming together here at, at Game Time CT, slowly but surely. I'm sure people out on podcast land don't really care, but for us, it's important. It is. Uh, you saw a good game yesterday. Where where were you? Well, you would know if you had asked. You would know where I was. But no, <laughs> all kidding aside, I was. I, I I'm, I'm playing the fool. I, I, know, I know you, you are playing. <laughs> I know that, and I'm playing the fool for going, for, <laughs> falling for the joke. But um, it, I was at the Guilford hand game. It was supposed to be a doubleheader. Yeah. Decision was made Monday, as we have seen a lot on the Shoreline community and vers- various other communities across the uh, state with the Triple E virus. People are moving their games up to the afternoon. Uh, the Guilford hand game was supposed to be in the afternoon, uh, 5 o'clock anyway, so it was only moved up an hour. The boys' game is today. I plan on being at that game, Guilford hand uh, rematch of a 2-2 tie. But to answer your question, um, Guilford – posted its eighth shutout of the year in as many victories has only one loss given up just one goal and they beat hand three to nothing after beating five nothing the season opener guilford's going to be a very much a contender in class l class l do they play doubleheader every year those those schools they play twice you usually double headers i mean i'm sure there's been times where they've split them up or just have the boys or the girls game but usually they have the double header they did back on the 14th before the triple e kind of became prevalent um, they usually draw a crowd. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, it is. I think they lo- you, you lose a little bit without having the students coming out and crowd and having at four o'clock in the afternoon. But I mean, that's just the, where we are. And obviously today they're doing it at three forty-five because Yom Kippur is at night. They that's can't right. Play yeah. Tomorrow, can't I mean, be done by dusk. I mean, the combination of the weather, Yom Kippur and Tripoli. That's why it was done. But obviously, uh, one versus four in the LWL poll. Uh, played last night to a 2-2 tie yeah. at New Canaan and Ridgefield. And the interesting thing is Ridgefield had only allowed one goal to Darien last Friday. They allowed two, but the interesting thing is they were down twice and they came back. So that shows a lot of moxie for them. Obviously, New Canaan's a player in, in, in the FCX, as we know, as is St. Joe's, as is Staples. And Ridgefield's got some big games coming up with St. Joe's and Staples next week. So apparently from what I've read, Ian Golden wasn't happy with their performance, but I, I don't know how you judge it in the rain, Scott. Yeah, it's tough in the rain. I, I was up in the rain last week, uh, Weston Barlow boys. Thursday night game. Thursday night game. I, and I got to say, despite the rain, Barlow brought, I mean, sorry, uh, Weston brought a huge crowd, huge soccer crowd. They had flags. They had a huge section, you know, filling up a whole part of the bleachers. Uh, Barlow had a few kids there too, but I was really impressed with the Weston kids. I'm always impressed when soccer fans come out for these games and, and draw huge crowds. And I think that you're starting to see that in some of these towns, that the crowds are building for 
for soccer, especially for rivalry soccer. I don't know if you've seen that too uh, up this way. A little bit, and not as much because again, a lot of the games I've been doing are during the day. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I don't. I didn't go to Massac Newtown. We we staffed it. Uh, game time did, and last Thursday in the rain, and they played a one-one tie, and. I saw it was like the fourth time in the last five years those two teams tied during the regular season, the SWC. So that race, much like the FCX, a lot of contenders, Massick and Newtown and Pomperog and Notre Dame and Fairfield and Weston, and Notre Dame beat Weston on Saturday. So it is – we're starting to figure – we're trying to sh- – it's starting to shake things out, but there's no clear cut in any of these leagues, SCC, FCX, or SWC. I mean, Richfield would be the, first, the team you choose – just because based on their postseason performance right. and because they're the defending FCAC champion. But if I'm not mistaken, St. Joe's hasn't given up a goal either. So And New Canaan obviously almost beat them. So it, it's hard to see who is the contender in those. And obviously uh, we're having an interview coming up with the Danbury coach. To find, I mean, and he's a contender, but is he necessarily the favorite in the FCAC? I don't know if there is a favorite. I mean, everyone kind of put in, yeah, we're going to have Danbury coach Anthony Howard on the show uh, coming up in a little bit. But, yeah, Danbury was the odds-on favorite to start the season. But right. the FCX so strong top to bottom where there's really, this year there's only three teams that aren't capable of beating everybody else. You know what I mean? And even New Canaan, which isn't great on the boys' side, gives a good game to some of these teams. The FCX is so tough week in and week out. I think it's hard to say, hey, you're the favorite. But look, Danbury's got 15 seniors. They have a really strong defense, even though Tyler Warren just got injured. Uh, but they've been ranked number two. They lost two games this week. But they've been ranked number two in the in the state poll behind Glastonbury. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, it's going to be Danbury and Glastonbury. Like, not well, not so fast. Not necessarily. I mean, Because the top of the CCC is stacked with East Hartford and Hall. And Farmington. And Farmington's playing okay this year. Uh, you know, a little down for them. But they'll be there at the end of the year. Uh, and then, of course, Glastonbury. So, and and who knows who comes out of the FCAC? I mean, right. Danbury has a great team, but you know what? So does Trumbull. So does Staples. So does Greenwich. Like, there's a lot of good soccer to be played, and, and we're only getting near the halfway point of the season now. So, you know, now we're coming down to the point of the season where we're going to start seeing, you know, separating these teams. We've talked about how stacked double L is in girls in the FCAC. How stacked in boys double L? I mean, stacked. I mean, Ward's having an awesome year. Uh, I believe Wilton's double L. They might be L. They might be one of the few L teams in in the FCAC. But everyone right. else is double L. I mean, you play all double L schools, other than St. Joe's and Trinity. Everyone else is double L or L. So yeah, I think all those teams could make noise. Ward's got, had a really good season. They just beat Danbury this week. They had a tie against Wilton. They're huge, from what I understand, like big kids. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple kids who are six three, six four on the front line. Um, you know, playing up near the striker. Uh, so th- they've been very good. Wilton's playing a whole new style, and they can score some goals out of their possession-based style. So I like a lot of the teams in the FCAC. I still think the top of the CCC is the, are the strongest teams, but I think the FCAC is the deepest and strongest conference and the toughest one to, to navigate game in and game out. I mean, because a lot of the games in the CCC, not a lot of them, but they get a, lot, a handful of games where it's not really in question who's going to – win the games you know what I mean right and then as we talked about games we saw I mean I saw Gilbert Hand I mean is Gilbert the best team well they lost to Mercy yeah at Mercy who has a smaller field but they have the most experienced team coming back other than the goalkeeper who's the freshman who's pretty good and then Mercy goes and gets their doors blown off by Shelton on the road on Saturday night three nothing in a rematch of the SEC tournament final which was won by Shelton and penalty kicks for whatever that that is worth so again there's no clear cut in the SEC I saw Morgan and Old Lyme in the shoreline last week. To me, it's 
O-line and Portland are the teams in the shoreline. But again, there's no clear cut in any of these leagues thus far. Like you said, we're at the halfway point. Things will start to shake out. One interesting thing. We talked last week about Suffield and Granberry. Yeah. Granberry goes into Suffield, beats him 2 nothing, ends 117-game unbeaten streak. Unbelievable. <laughs> In the regular season for Suffield, the last time they lost was October 28, 2011, to Granby. Yeah. So congratulations, Suffield, on having such a great run. Um, Granby is the top seed in Class M as we sit here now. They're unbeaten. So, it'll be again, it's still those two teams, but Granby has now put themselves ahead in the NCCC race. So whatever that is worth. But it, it's a that's a – as you said last week, Scott, it's a great stretch to no matter who you are playing, who's in front of you to win that many games in a row, it says something. Yeah, the teams are starting to round into form. I mean, you, you start to figure out your lineups and your rotations or whatever, and uh, you know teams are really starting to lock in now. And I think you're starting to see the quality of play go up and up uh, as the season goes on. Uh, all right, without further ado, let's get to Danbury coach Anthony Howard. Uh, we'll be right back with that awesome interview. We are joined now by Danbury boys soccer coach Anthony Howard. Anthony, welcome to the Just for Kicks podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Um, you guys had a game over the weekend. Uh, let's talk about that first. Uh, Tyler Warren suffered a little bit of an injury. The All-State uh, defensive back. How's Tyler doing? And uh, and is he when's he looking to be back on the field? Uh, yeah, he suffered a bit of a sprain on his ankle, so. Um... I mean, it's unlikely he's going to be available uh, against Greenwich on Thursday. Um, but that kid kind of bounces back pretty quick. So I'm hoping to get him at least for the for the game after. I mean, it's a maybe a slight possibility against Greenwich. But, you know, it's whether you risk it or not at this stage. You know, there's still a lot of games left. So uh, got to, it's going to be a bit of a game-time decision, I think, on that one. And you obviously would rather have him healthy come the end of the season, right? Yeah, yeah, but he's still got to get there. You right. know, that's the, the, the tough thing is that, you know, you've got to juggle when to use players and when not to. And, um, you know, at the moment, the the league's still, you know, wide open and everyone's kind of dropping points here and there. And uh, we've still got to get to a postseason. Yeah, I mean, obviously, States is there. But um, in terms of the FCAC, we still, we still want to get that home tire. So, you know, you juggle that, that is a is a 60% Tyler better than you know nothing at all and you know that's what we've got to go juggle and, and and the impact it's going to have down the road you know uh, we've talked about this before but the FCAC is so tough top to bottom even though you guys come in as a favorite or whatever that obviously doesn't mean anything because there's what 15 16 teams that could beat anybody any any given week right yeah, it, you know, the, I, we kind of laugh a bit about the polls. I mean, no one really knows where where everyone's going to be. And what's interesting is the the turnover of players. You know, um, and I'm sure you see this across the state. It it takes you know one or two players that come back from academy in their senior year that that weren't there the year before, and then uh, uh, you know a team. And I use Wilton for example. It's a it's a whole new whole new team. You yeah. know, uh, two or three players come back in and. Um, you know, you never know where you're going to stand. And, uh, you know, we knew we'd be good. And, um, you know, obviously that reflected in the polls, but so is everybody else, you know. And, and that's the tough thing, especially with the with the schedule. You never really know who's going to click and who's going to kind of push forward. So at this stage, you know, it's, it's really wide open. And, um, yeah, every game, you, there's really no rest. And that's 
that's a tough thing. I was speaking to Kurt Putnam actually from Greenwich yesterday and we, we both don't really know what sort of team we're going to be fielding on Thursday night just because of injuries and whatever else, but both of us need to get a result. So, yeah. you know, you kind of, again, juggling all those balls. And I assume when you're facing good teams game in and game out, that, that not, not necessarily this year, but there are times where things can get away from you and before you know it, you've lost four games in a row and, and you're staring down the barrel of a, of a losing record. I mean, how difficult is it just game in and game out in that league to – to consistently get points yeah it's i mean as you know it's a double l heavy league i think we've got what 14 or 15 double l schools in yeah. in in the league and you know with that it, just every game is a battle every single one and uh you're right we can i mean we started off seven and oh and you know what in a week's time we could be seven and four you know it's uh, uh all of a sudden you're going from top of the league down into fourth and fifth and sixth and um it's just no rest. And I I think it does, you know, it takes its toll throughout the season. I mean, we kind of joke that the deeper you go in the FCAC and, uh, you, you know, we use us, for example, last year, we, we made the fight, the FCAC final, um, you know, rolling out for States three days later, we, we look dead, yeah. you know, we look white and uh, it, it does take its toll. But, you know, with that, it's, it, you know, it's a great league to be part of. And it's very important to the kids too, isn't it, to try to win the FCAC championship? As much as you'd maybe rather have a couple of days off, the kids take a lot, place a lot of value in the conference championship, don't they? They, they yeah, one hundred percent, they do. You know, it's uh, it, being such a competitive league. It's almost, um, you know, I wouldn't say that you'd rather win the FCAC rather than the states, but certainly it has that same sort of weight. You know, we we grind all year and we face these teams and. Uh, you know, we know a lot of the teams and the players, so it, it's a massive accomplishment. You know, certainly for me right now, you know, we haven't won a championship or anything in 21 years. So, you know, I'll take winning every, anything and everything. But it's um, <laughs> it, it certainly is a great, you know, even to make the finals, just a great accomplishment. Uh, you have 15 seniors this year. Uh, does that make your job easier, harder, uh, having that many kids with, with experience on, on your field? You know, this year I think it's been probably my hardest year to to figure out the the blend and and who we're putting out there. We've we got a lot of depth this year, but with the with the depth, there's such a mixture of of talents. And and I said to uh, Dave Rudin, actually the reporter on the weekend, that I've never been eight nine games into a season and still really trying to figure out who our best lineup is and who should be on the field and what formation and whatever else. And I'd, I, I think that's what's kind of hurting us right now is, is I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to go out on Thursday night and you shouldn't really be in that situation, you know, nine, 10 games into the season, but that's kind of the, the problems I'm facing right now is, um, you know, mixture of the, the skill and the strength and the speed and, and who to put where and, for some teams it works against and some teams it doesn't obviously you know ward and wilton you know exposed us and you know however we were going out didn't work against those guys so you know maybe we've got to change things up but i mean i'm not going to complain about having options um you've just got to figure out what's going to be the best way to get us through the postseason i mean without specifically talking about kids are there times where you may have an individual player who has a lot of great skill by themselves, but maybe they, they don't fit in with exactly what you're doing as as a team and as a unit, and you might play a different kid who just fits into the system better? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure every coach kind of goes through that. And um, it's, uh, I mean, I've got kids right now that are, are maybe starting on the bench that last year on a, on a team that we, we won the regular season were probably getting more time last year as juniors than they are this year as seniors. Um, and, and again, being in Danbury, you know, to give you a bit of an insight, it's a very strange school to be part of because you you get new kids in every year. You know, right. kids are moving in, kids become eligible one year, not the not the next necessarily. And um, you know, this year in my varsity squad, I've got I've got five players that I didn't even know about. You know, and so it's hard to kind of focus on that next year and know where you're going to go and have a strategy when you have so many new players coming in and you know at tryouts i'm like hey who's this kid you know this kid's got some talent i kind of i thought so and so would be playing in there and you know this puts a bit of a spanner into my plans but again you can't really complain about things like that and these are upperclassmen you're talking about, right? Juniors and seniors that haven't yeah. played before? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got a senior right now that has been coming in off the bench in a center midfield role that I I, I literally met him on August 28th or 29th, whatever it was. I didn't even know he existed. So, yeah. um, you know, that's a prime example of, of what I face. Normally three or four players like that every year. Um, but then it's integrating them into the high school soccer. You know, they can be great players, they look good in tryouts, but, you know, then you roll them out against a, a Ward or a Greenwich or a Trumbull and, it, you know, the, the whole high school game and the, it's so much quicker and faster and stronger. It, uh, maybe they don't or they're not necessarily used to that, that game. So it's tough. Uh, I know a couple of years ago, Mario Caminiti down at Stanford had uh, five different languages on his team at, at one time. Are you at three yeah. now? Is that where you are? Portuguese, Spanish, and English? Yeah, we're Portuguese, Spanish, and, and obviously English. Um, you know, we I have a, uh, an assistant that is bilingual. Um, I only have a couple of players this year that, uh, that struggle with English. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I do need someone there to help me with the language barrier. I'm trying to learn a little bit of Spanish, I'll, I'll be honest with with you but it's uh it's taking a little longer than expected but yeah that is a is an issue um obviously danbury we have a, a large um you know hispanic population and uh some of these kids come in you know they they come in in their junior senior year and they want to play soccer and they're good players but um we certainly have a very diverse group and actually i think you know right now everyone or is, what i've been starting everyone except my back three or four and my goalkeeper are south american right so yeah how does that affect communication on the field with the players and do they develop some kind of like shorthand that that helps with that yeah well, i like to think that soccer you know is a language in itself right. and you know hopefully the understanding but uh, this kind of goes back to what i was just saying about getting that blend right you yeah. know um obviously some of these players are, are very very skillful players and but if they if they lack that understanding or that communication piece, that can that can really hurt you. So that's something that I'm trying to figure out right now is, you know, getting that blend of you know not just skill set and physical uh, components on the field, but also the the understanding of what the team's trying to do. You know, the team wins the game. Um, so yeah, that's it's a challenge. Uh, everyone talks about your defense. Uh... It, it, you're you're a defensive coach. Uh, what's your defensive philosophy, and, and then how have the kids embraced that? 
Well, it's funny how I've, I, I have been labelled as a defensive coach. I mean, I was a, I was a centre back myself, and I, you know, I, I believe that you always build from the back. You right. know, I, I'm not one that wants to get into a slugging fight. You know, and win games four, three, and whatever else. So, um, I do want to build from the back, and I. That's the first point that I go to every year. Is you know, how do we become a tough team to beat? Um, and then after that, we can start thinking uh, about how we go forward. Um, but again, from experience, I, you've got to win games. You've 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 got to go out and win games. You know, tying games uh, it doesn't help you get anywhere, especially in the postseason. Um, you know, last year we lost to East Hartford on on penalty kicks, and we just struggled throughout the year to to generate much offense. So we are throwing a bit of caution to the wind this year. You know, I'm playing with three guys at the back, which which puts a lot of strain on them. You know, Tyler Aiden and Joe Mooney have predominantly been there as a back three um but it does expose them you know we are trying to push numbers forward and, and whatever else so uh yeah well, i mean i just personally believe you always build from the back but there comes a time where you've got to you've got to score goals to win a game right right uh so when you, when you talk about building from the back uh how does a player like tyler and the other two you have two all your captains are back there what do yes. they do to help you build your offense like how does that how does that flow and how does that function just explain that to people Sorry, explain that again. You just uh, you uh, broke up. Just uh, oh, put sorry. you there on the key point. Uh, just explain how how you build from the back. How having three really good defenders helps you generate offense, and and how that works for people that don't know. Well, you know, the, I mean, as with any anything, you know, you got to you install a trust that you know you're gonna you're hopefully not going to concede many goals, and that allows your midfielders to be a little bit more aggressive with their, say their positioning and uh, the way they're, they're moving up the field, knowing that, you know, you've got three or four real solid defenders. Uh, There's a little bit more of a license to go forward. Um, You know, in terms of what I do every year after sort of preseason and and whatever else is just, I take the defenders and I just focus on their jobs, their individual jobs, their individual responsibilities. Um, and I, you know, kind of label it, you know, Hey, if you, if you do your jobs, we, we're not going to lose the game. Mm-hmm. And that's an important starting point, right? You, you're not going to lose that game. And then it's a matter of talking to your midfield and forwards and whatever else about their way of impacting the game offensively. Um, but really it's just underlying the importance of, of being, being a tough team to beat. And then the midfielders, do, do specific guys have you know more of an offensive mindset and defensive set and it, within the midfield? Are the guys that you know are always going to be back and guys that are better at pushing forward? Yeah, well, the, I, the game has transitioned a lot, I think, in the in in the last sort of ten fifteen years. You know how now you have central defensive midfielders, you have attacking midfielders. You know, I, I'm trying to think back when I grew up, you, you just had midfielders. You right. know, they, they could defend and they could attack. It was part of their role and, you know, there are still midfielders out there. But it's interesting now, I speak to kids and I go, you know, where do you play? They go, oh, it's central defensive mid or I'm an attacking midfielder. Um, personally, I think that's a bit of a shame. You know, I, I, I used to like having two or three guys in midfield that could do everything. Um, but it seems now as if the games evolve into have. Uh, a central defensive midfielder and have attacking midfielders um, and yeah, it's something actually that we're tinkering with right now about you know even with our team and you know we're coming off the back of two losses maybe changing that and I'm looking at two guys now that I think are probably more well-rounded as, as midfielders as opposed to singled out to be 
a defensive and, a, and an attacking midfielder. Um, and, and that might help a little bit on the on the offensive side because, again, your, your CDM really kind of just sits there and protects that back four. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, hey, have a, a little bit more faith in, in your defenders and, and let's push forward. I mean, it could benefit you to go to an older style if everyone else is doing it differently now, right? I mean, being different can help sometimes if kids aren't practicing against that and aren't used to seeing it, right? Well, yeah, and we've we've found that in the last couple of days as well. You know, we we started very strong, and within five six games, everyone kind of knew everything about us. You know, uh, I remember you know the Wilton game on the weekend. You know, reading the interview afterwards, the Wilton coach was like, "Oh, we knew everything." Kind of went through their number eight, and he gets on the ball at the back, and blah blah blah. Um, and it made me think. I was like, well, you know what? We need to change things up. I and come come out with a new look so um i think we need options that's that's the key so certainly on on thursday night when we play greenwich uh we're going to be looking a little different i hope and uh you know that that gives us more options going into the postseason because you know if you stay the same you, you become easy to figure out is it is that across the board now is there just more video more is it easier to scout teams and kind of know what they're all doing as opposed to being in the dark where you might have been if you never saw them before yeah i think there's a you know i've every game we've played so far whether it be us or some or, or our opposition are, are videoing games yeah. and you know you've got to be pretty naive to think that these videos aren't being shared and taken back and the coach is talking and whatever else so um you know four or five games in and i think that's really what's happened to us is that you know we've we've been figured out obviously last two games we've been figured out and there's no question that with the wilson game for example wilson knew exactly what we were doing right. you, you know before we even stepped on the field they knew our game plan um and the tough thing for as a coach is that you know when you're on a five six seven game losing streak why do you want to change you know, why do you want to, what, you know, if it's working, don't try and fix it. And right. I think that was, again, going back a, about three years um, when we played Trumbull in the quarterfinal of the State Cup, try, Trumbull were undefeated for the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually remember going into that game and we completely changed how we were playing. And I knew that Ch- Trumbull weren't going to change. Well, why would they? You right. know, they, they're undefeated. They've won the majority of their games. Why would they change anything? And I think that ultimately hurt them that year. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to spin the, the two losses as a positive, Scott. If that's... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's what coaches do. That's what you should be doing yeah. is, is learning from these losses. You're going to take losses in the FCAC. You're not going to go through that, you know, 20-0. and 0. No, absolutely not. Uh, and Wilton, I mean, you talked about Wilton. Wilton's changed their style of play completely. They're playing possession-based soccer. When a team can do that well, um, and I know you guys do that too and, and other teams do it in the league, but playing possession-based soccer, how much of an advantage does that give you when you can do that well? Well, the, you, you said it exactly right. If you can do it well, it's very good because, you you know, you have you minimize the time the opposition are on the ball, which ultimately minimizes or should minimize opportunities for them. Um the, the tough thing is is that with a possession style soccer you you're allowing op, op, your opposition time to or more time to recover and get back in so it actually is harder to then break down a team you really need skilled players to then break down because all the time you're kind of knocking it um, the opposition kind of get reformed they get set um, whereas often you know some teams that play a little bit more direct they're they 
they're kind of isolating the fact that you've only got a couple of guys back there and um, probably create more opportunities. But if possession style is working and players are doing it well, absolutely, it can be a, a great positive. But if it's not working for you, all of a sudden now you're basically making more mistakes in dangerous areas that actually help your opponents. And, um, you know, we've found that in the last couple of games where we, we're trying to possess the ball, but, you know, we're either making technical errors or decision-making errors and, and getting caught in the middle of the park or, or in our third of the field. And that's dangerous to do that. And then how important does the striker become in possession-based soccer, having a kid that can make a play and make an individual effort to, to score a goal? Yeah, it's... Uh... Again, with a more direct style, you can have a, a, a big, strong athlete, maybe not as technically strong, um, but can still be very, very dangerous because basically you're releasing that player into space. When you play a possession style, you're basically getting into the final third and you've not got much room to deal with. So you're then relying on a little bit more skill and sharpness and creativity to create the opportunities as opposed to raw power and strength and speed. Um, so you do need a, a bit more of a technical blend to, to break down teams. Uh, Anthony, we want to thank you for coming on Just for Kicks. Uh, we want to. We hope Tyler gets uh, healthy and you guys uh, can make a little run here because we all, you know, we think you have a good team and uh, and could be dangerous in, in the states and of course in the FCAC too. So just thank you for coming on with us today. No, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks very much. All right. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. We are back. We want to thank Danbury coach Anthony Howard. Uh, that was a good interview. I like I like talking technical soccer and stuff and, and getting the inside scoop from coaches. And, and he's great. He's such a great soccer mind and knows the game so well. And, you know, he's a good guy and, and a great soccer coach. Um, so we want to thank him for being on. Uh, before we get out of here, I just want to talk about a couple of boys games this week which I think should be pretty good. Uh, Thursday night, Ward and Ludlow played. I was talking about Ward earlier today. Uh, Ludlow's a good team. That game always draws a huge crowd. It's under the lights, 7 o'clock at Ludlow. Uh, at the shoreline this week, we got Cog and Chog and Old Line playing each other. Uh, that should be a really good one. You know, Everyone's kind of chasing Morgan in that league right now, but Old Line and Cog and Chog are, are both really high-quality teams. Um, one game, I'm, I'm trying to get up here. I'm, I'm really trying to go to this game on Friday. Hall at Lewis Mills. Uh, Lewis Mills has done okay, you know, starting out in the CCC. It's like we've talked about in the show before, jumping from the Berkshire to the CCC is massive. Uh, now they get to go play or they get to host, you know, one of the top two teams in the CCC in Hall uh, Friday at 345. So I'm excited to see that one. Um, and then we got a good game in the SWC on Friday, Pomperog at Bethel, which I think will be awesome uh and then also friday guilford xavier in the sec should be a really good game i don't know if you've seen either of those teams yet uh no i'm gonna see guilford today like i yeah, said yeah. and we're gonna and guilford coming had played if you remember he played hand to a 2-2 tie in the season opener and they scored both goals after getting a red card near a man down right and one of them was a penalty kick so i'm interested to see how guilford does on the turf at surf club today at 345 um on the girls side not as much this week. Guilford girls coming off the hand win. They got Cheshire yeah. at home. Cheshire only one loss. Interesting matchup. There was a one nothing game that Guilford won the last time around. I believe New Canaan at St. Joe's, the night game on Friday night. So if you don't want to see football, you can go see that. Assuming it stays that night, I would imagine it will, since New Canaan and Richfield play in the rain on Monday night. Yeah. Uh, and Amity and Shelton, always a good over, old SEC Housatonics, 
all the Housatonic League rivals. Um, again, two teams that are going to be in the SEC tournaments. It's basically a seeding game, basically to see who, who's really that good. So, But we really get into the meat of the FCAC next week uh, when Richfield plays Staples, Richfield plays St. Joe's, um, and we really find out who's going to be the best team. So it should be interesting as we come down the stretch here. This should be a good Friday and Saturday to go check out some soccer. There's not a ton of local football going on. The FCAC's pretty much on a bye except for, SEC, I think, four teams. For the SEC, part. same thing, too. Yep. So. Go check out some soccer on Friday, Saturday afternoons. Got some good games too. Go out, watch some games. There's some really good teams in Connecticut, and uh, they deserve uh, to be seen and recognized. Uh, all right, we're gonna get out of here. You ready, Joe? You ready to get out of here? Am I ready to get off the couch? Uh, yeah. It's kind of comfortable. I'm not really <laughs> sure if I want to. <laughs> we'll take but, a quick nap. Uh, here we'll maybe we'll take a nap after <laughs> we we we, we uh, sign off one at a time. Yeah. Right. Uh, all right. For Joe, I'm Scott. <laughs> we'll see you next week on Just for Kicks. <laughs>